Welcome to the Sky Society Podcast, the place where dream careers come true. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Sky Society, Natalie Peters. Prepare for smiles, tears, surprises, and epic takeaways. This podcast is for the ambitious woman who wants it all and wants it real. We're diving deep with relatable and dreamy guests who are showing you what actually matters when it comes to starting and accelerating your career so you can make your dream job your real job. Let's make it happen. Welcome back to another episode of the Sky Society podcast. Today, I am so excited to be chatting with Zoe Green. She is the creative project manager at Way. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Zoe has just such a incredible career journey. Um, We're going to go through her internships, how then she ended up working at our Donnelly, went to OPI, then to Nick's Makeup, and then is now at Way. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm Zoe, obviously. I am a creative project manager, and it's interesting because I always like to say that I am a perfect blend of my parents. My mom was a photo producer and art director and makeup artist on sets, and my dad works in the aerospace industry in communication. So I'm kind of like the good blend of the two, which I think makes my dad really happy because he got stuck with three girls and followed the corporate career path. At Way, as a creative project manager, I'm in charge of all of the incoming creative requests and really getting things from like an ideation to like in the store. So if you go into like Sephora and you see our tower, like I'm like, I remember the initial conversation that's like Sephora is like, we're going to update the tower. Here's a new launch we have coming in, literally down to like what assortment we're putting on the shelves, the schematics of it, all of the emails that go out, anything on social, like any little thing that you see photos in it, any sort of creative I've touched. That's incredible. That must be a lot of creatives. You know, it's a small but mighty team. There are, I have three designers. Oh my gosh. I know all of my hair care products are way. I love the thick hair line is my favorite just because I have super thick hair. So I'm a big fan of the shampoo conditioner and then the refillable products. I always buy like the refillable packages to refill my your back. Yes. Yes. I love it. I recently switched to it like a year ago and I always using like shampoo conditioner that I felt like I never like felt like I saw a difference in my hair. I was like, I guess it's like kind of working. And then I noticed like a big difference when I switched over to way. I will say the best thing about working for the brand is it is truly a good product. I, I really, it's not like I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. I had never heard of the brand actually before. I knew that Jen had done a hairline and I knew of her, but I did not know anything about the product. And so when I started, they sent me a box of like one of everything. And I remember the first time I tried it, I was like, okay, wow, this is like, this is really good. Like I actually really feel a difference. Yeah. It's really good. And for those of you who, yeah, I have super birthday care and I like, I absolutely love it. But yeah, I, I, it's also smells really good. Like all the products smell amazing. So definitely a big fan. All right. Well, before you ended up at where you currently are now, you had quite the journey. And I know a lot of your career, um, you started back doing some internships. So can you take us, we're going to rewind the clock and go back to um, Ford Models. Is that your first big internship? Is that correct? Yes. It's so interesting because I really believe in divine timing and that everything happens for a reason. Ever since I was little, I loved fashion. I grew up on photo sets with my mom all the time. So I really wanted to be involved in fashion somehow. And I used to think that I really, really wanted to do wedding gown designing. So I went to school for fashion design originally. And unfortunately, my grandma had a stroke. So I came back home and my mom was represented by Ford. So I... Had a, I guess you could call it a little bit of a Nepo baby moment. And I was able to secure an internship with them in the Milwaukee office, which at the time you would have been surprised at how much work was in the Chicago and Milwaukee area with sort of the standard e-com catalog work. So I basically was like an assistant booker and helped with all the bookings and we would help them do scouting during the summer and just kind of learning the ins and outs of the booking process and what clients are looking for, pricing, negotiating rates, etc. And when the internship was over, I didn't want to be a booker, but I we represented artists at the time. And I was like, how can I get into this? And I think that starts with 
the number one thing that I believe in is like, don't be afraid to ask because the answer is always no, unless you ask. So I asked about it and I'll never forget the other intern that I was with was like, I'm not going to ask them. Like, I don't, there's no room for us here. And I was like, well, you never know. And she's like, well, can you steam clothes? And you know, like, can you, do you think you could assist comfortably on set? And I was like, yeah, you know, I have a design background. So I know how to fit clothes to a body. I know how to use a steamer. And it's so funny because the clothes on set that come for the models are so big. Sometimes they would send me like an eight and the models a four. So you really have to do a lot of magic of pinning on set. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's where I you were the one who asked for this opportunity and the other intern was too afraid to ask. And so you were the one that got it. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. You know, I, I just have always been like kind of a ballsy kid and I don't know where that comes from, but actually I think I know where it comes from is that my parents are my biggest cheerleader. Like very rarely do they tell me that I can't do something. And I always joke that if I told my mom that I could fly, she'd be like, you can fly. You are the best flyer out there. That's incredible support, I think, to have. And I love hearing when, you know, you get to have parents that are, yeah, you, whatever you want to do, you can absolutely do that. And also when you are just an intern and being brave enough to ask for something like that is very, very scary. And I'm sure the other intern that was like, no way I'm asking is probably how most of us feel of like, there's like, there's no way it could ever possibly happen. It's like, why would I even ask? But you have yeah. the mentality, like you never know, right? Like, yeah. then what, what am I going to lose by asking? Yeah. And I always feel like you can learn to, if it's a no, learn from the no, you know, okay, why not now? Or what else could I do to get there where I would be like, you know, in a position to be hired? Yeah. I like that. So it's a win-win because if you ask and you hear yes, then you get what you wanted. If you ask and you get, and you hear no, then you can use it as a learning opportunity. Well, why is it a no? How can I improve? So beautiful. You, you win either way. Yeah. So I transitioned that internship into assisting in styling commercially on set for a few years. I moved to Chicago and then I kind of was at a fork in the road. I tend to hit these a lot in life where I can kind of keep going the same way. It was kind of that time where it's like, I needed to invest in my portfolio in order to get a better rate, get better bookings and, or I could go back to school and I did always want to go to college. And I was trying to really think about what my career path was going to be and what I wanted to do. And I still knew that kind of liked this creative marketing side of things. So I decided to go back to school. I moved back to Wisconsin and I went to University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and I studied journalism, advertising, and media studies. So I went to school and then I hit my next internship, which was I did marketing for a local restaurant group. And I think that this was a big aha moment for me because I asked him what his degree was in. And he was like, oh, my degree is in architecture, but he was the director of marketing for this restaurant group. And I was like, how did that happen? Yeah, I'm like, how did you spend all this money on this degree and you're not even using it? He's kind of like, oh, I kind of started, but it wasn't all what I thought it would be. And I just remember thinking, I was like, I don't want to look up and not be doing what I went to school for. And I also knew that I didn't want to stay in Milwaukee. Both of my parents are from New York, so I've always been a big city girl. And I was like, I've got to get out. And I kind of hit that slump that postgrads can hit. I was applying for jobs nonstop and it just can sometimes be so hard to get your foot in the door. And this is where I tell people it can be hard, especially if you are not an outgoing person. I'm a pretty charismatic person. I'm pretty confident in talking with strangers, but it is a lot of who you know and getting a connection somewhere. So I took a year of just applying for jobs religiously. I mean, I was applying for like 10 jobs a day. Like I would wake up, apply for 10 jobs, and then I would go to my serving job in Atlanta. And I lucked out because my mom lived there. So she's like, maybe you should try moving down here. And so in Atlanta, there's so much film happening. I was like, well, maybe I can like somehow get in on the creative department on a show or a movie, like meet somebody because I also knew I wanted to move to LA. That was definitely a place I had visited before. And I was just like, this feels like home to me. I really want to move there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I tell you every single table, I don't care who they were. I had no clue who they were either. So I was like making myself be known what my interests were, that this wasn't my full-time you know, job, that I was a recent grad and I was looking and I made several connections, but nothing fully turned out to be what I wanted to, it, it to be. And I was coming up on that one year mark and I got, I want to say desperate, but I just feel like maybe I got crafty 
I went on LinkedIn and I reached out to every single one of my connections. And I was like, I'm coming up on a year post-grad. I'm really looking for something. Do you know anybody? Do you have anything? And funny enough, the guy that I did the original internship at Ford with was in LA working at OPI. And he said, you know, I can't offer you relocation or anything, but if you want to move to LA, I have a job for you. And when I tell you I packed up everything so quickly and booked a one-way ticket. (laughs) That is insane. I think so many people can relate to that first year post-grad like struggles of trying to get a job and not being able to. That is probably one of the biggest demographics even listens to this podcast or people that feel that way and are just feeling so stuck. And even like what you said, how you went even like above and beyond to do all of these things and just it was not moving for you. I feel like it's always a good reminder that if this is that is you, it is nothing personal about you or speaks to who you are and your character and your approach of like, I'm literally going to message absolutely everyone. And all it really took was that one person to be like, yeah, there is an opportunity out here for you. Yeah. It's literally like that Lady Gaga quote, like there could be a hundred people in a room, but you just need one person to believe in you. Exactly. Exactly. But you do have to have those hundred people see you first and you made sure that they saw you. One, when you were going through this year post-grad and you were applying and you were just getting rejected and rejected, how did you battle burnout or how did you keep your mindset positive to keep going and keep applying? Because I know a lot of girls really struggle during this period of not, of letting those rejections really hit them personally. Yeah, it is really, it's hard not to take it personally because some of it is, you know, just a generic filtered, like, you know, you didn't you're not qualified or your resume doesn't meet our requirements. Some of it is you get a first round interview and you don't move forward. Some of it is you can get to a second or third and you don't get it. And it can be really hard to keep going and not get defeated. I think for me, I try to keep in mind, I saw this episode of Inside the Actor Studio and it was George Clooney and somebody had asked, how do you deal with audition rejection? And he's like, well, you know, you didn't, if you go in and you don't get it, you're not walking away with anything less than what you walked in with. You know, I didn't have a job to begin with. And if I apply and I don't get this, you know, I didn't lose out on anything. I'm not in a worse position than I was before. I think also I like to just believe, you know what, it wasn't meant for me because it would have happened if it was meant to happen. And I am annoying. Sometimes I have like, I can be annoyingly optimistic, but I just like, you know what? Okay. Maybe I didn't actually want that one as much as I did. And the one that is meant for me is going to come forward. Yeah. The one that's meant for you will find you. I feel like when, when you're in the weeds of it, it's also hard to like all those kind of like, oh, so hard. Attitudes are like, but I want it. I don't really care if it's meant for me or not. I just want it. Wow. Yeah, sometimes though, you just have to like give yourself 15 minutes to just be really upset about it. Yeah. I try not to like hang on to things. So I will like give myself 15 minutes to be like really, really upset about it. Cry, be upset, etc. And then move on because it's like being upset about it does not get me the job. It's only hindering me from finding the one that I want. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you make this massive move to LA to work at OVI. Had you have, have you ever been to LA before? I have been to LA, I think two times. Yeah. I have been there two times before. Okay. And the first time I'll never forget, I flew out of O'Hare and it was 18 degrees and I landed in LA and it was like 83 <laughs> and, it was like and I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is the life. We went to the beach and I was like, it's February. I have my toes in the sand and it's sunny and beautiful. And I just loved it so much. Yeah, you cannot beat that weather. I'm originally, I'm from Southern California. I'm a little bit more south of LA, but yeah, there's nothing like being able to go outside and enjoy yourself in the winter months, which yeah, in Austin, I mean, not as bad as Milwaukee, but can't really do that. Can you imagine like, it's cold. Yeah. Six to nine months out of the year. Absolutely ridiculous. Definitely worth the move over to the sunshine state, in my opinion. And you went to this new company. You're living in a place you have never lived in. You've only visited. Doing a brand new role that you had never really done before. So can you tell me about what your start was like when you went to work for OPI? So it's interesting because while I had this work experience, I got hired as a production coordinator. And 
I had all this experience with being on set, but it was from a freelance standpoint. So, you know, I had these freelance clients, they would hire me for a day rate. I really could come in for a pre-pro week. Maybe we would pack up things if we were going off site. We would kind of have a few calls with clients and then that was kind of it. I could wash my hands of the day. And like when five o'clock hit, like I left and I had my life outside of work. Moving to LA and OPI, which is owned by Cody, it was very corporate. And that's an investment. Corporate life is very different from freelance. See, there's really a lot of politics and there is a certain way to maneuver yourself within corporate. And while that job was challenging, like probably one of my most challenging roles and times, I think about how I learned so much and the way I'm able to communicate with outside vendors now with my team. And at the time, it seemed really annoying the way that my boss would kind of hover over me. And he, I think actually in the beginning, he, I would send my emails to him to be reviewed before I could actually send them out. No way. Everything I sent to him to be reviewed before I actually sent it out to the wider team, which at the time felt like he didn't have any faith in me or that, you know, I couldn't do the job. But in hindsight, I realized that he was actually being a very good manager because he understood that one, I was a reflection of him and that two, I just didn't know. I didn't have that experience. And so it was up to him to teach me that. Well, did you get to a point where, you know, you no longer had to send it to him before yeah. you send it out? Okay. So I would say it probably took about six months before he was comfortable. Okay. That's a it. long time. I mean, it is, but in hindsight, you know, I was talking to my dad last night and he's like, it really takes you three years to fully learn a role and be like really well-versed in it. Yes. The, the training part I would say is also very interesting. And similarly, when I remember when I brought on my first hire with Sky Society, sometimes it's also, you're absolutely right. That person is a reflection of who you are. And when they're sending stuff, that is, you know, your brand that is sending stuff. And so what is also nice about someone investing in you, like your boss being like, I'm going to like take the time to actually review all of these emails is that then after you hit six months, you probably also had a lot of confidence that you could do that and that you weren't, that you actually got to get trained in, in all of those edits, I'm sure of every email or all those things that he edited. And then you got that feedback that in the long run, I think can absolutely pay off. I am curious though, because I know sometimes there are bosses that just micromanage and it's not for your own growth. It's just because they are micromanaging bosses do you have any advice on like maybe how to tell the difference between if you have a boss that like cares about you and is it is closely watching you to help you grow versus a boss that's just micromanaging you because they cannot trust or cannot let go? I think in my experience, it's been pretty clear because this was truly where I was sending something and he had edits. It wasn't like I was just sending it for him to review. Later in my career, I definitely had a boss that tried to micromanage and it was interesting because I would send things to him, which then he would use and reiterate in a meeting. And I was like, that's exactly what I told you earlier. Or yeah. kind of asking me some certain questions. Oh, he would just kind of like mansplain back to me what I said. And I was like, but that's what I just told you. So you can kind of tell, I think really what comes out of it is if there's a learning from it. If yeah. you are getting constructive feedback, if you are learning something new or if you're getting an edit for something, I think that's like truly a learning opportunity. If it is something that's just kind of being like regurgitated back to you, or you can tell there, it's like, you can tell when something's being done just to be done versus like there being a learning opportunity from it. Yeah. Okay. That's, I think a really good point there of, yeah, you getting edits and you learning versus your boss, just like, like changing things and not telling you or using your ideas and not giving you credit. Yeah. Got it. All right. So you started your, I think this is like your big, really first rollover at OPI. What were some of the biggest things that you learned during your time there? I learned that I am incredibly tough. I, that was a, it was a rough role. I was, I was away from home, like very far. Like I moved clear across the country. Most of my family's on the East coast. So I was by myself. It was really a time to learn and use my own devices. I also was like, so broke. <laughs> LA is very expensive. So it was a good time for me to like, get very well versed in my own finances to utilize my own resources, to make friends and kind of build my own community and really navigating life on my own in a work sense. It was an opportunity to 
get well versed in the type of people that you will run into in your work life. And you, some people want to make a lot of friends at work. Some people are not that into making friends at work. And there are certain people who may not have the best intentions when they're interacting with coworkers. So I also would say that I learned to, you need to find, I always joke about this when you are young, it's going to be tough because you are at the bottom of the totem pole and you have to pay your dues. I think it's a little bit different with this incoming generation, but I'm kind of like a younger millennial. So I was still in a time of where we had unpaid internships. Like I think most kids now are getting paid for internships. And I'm like, I was lucky if I got a reimbursement for my like commuting cost. And I think that people were a lot tougher on you. So you didn't want to be super emotional. I don't know if you watch The Hills, but Kelly Catron always said, if you have to cry, you need to go outside. So I made sure I had like a bathroom that was like the old bathroom in the basement that like if I was having a moment, I would cry because I just, this boss was tough on me, but it made me very resilient and really come into my own and realize what I can bring to the table. Okay. So yeah, definitely the types, I think some of us can relate to having those jobs that, you know, that, yeah, maybe you do find yourself crying in a stall in the bathroom or they really take you through tough times, but you being able to come out from the other end of it and say that, okay, I grew a lot. I learned that I can do so much more than I thought I was even capable of from the beginning is a nice, nice way to look on that. I can see how you, you said how you're always the optimist. I'm seeing this, this trend is how you look at your experiences through your career which is such an, a great approach to hear. So you're, you were at OPI for a little while, and then you ended up going over to Nix as a project manager. Can you tell me about that transition? Yeah, so my time at OPI, I was there for about two years, but I learned so much in those two years because that first six months, he was kind of like really, my boss was really on me. And then it was just kind of like, sink or swim. And then it felt like I was on my own. He had gotten a promotion and I got more responsibilities and I had moved up to be an associate producer. And I really was taking the reins of all of the shoot planning and doing all the call sheets and negotiating for rates, you know, organizing and filing all of that system, making sure that I'm staying with on budget and really moving around the money. So it's interesting because somebody had asked me yesterday how I fell into, I always say I fell into project management because production has a lot of the same elements as project management. You've got us, you've got an ideation and you have an end goal of like where to get these things post-production. And so at OPI, there was a lot of shifts just happening, which you will experience in your career. There's big shifts. We had a huge kind of shakeup with upper leadership. You know, our, we got a new SVP, our VP of creative ended up leaving and we got a new woman who came from an agency, which is very different from working for one brand. And she wanted to bring her own people, which then kind of put me out because I would have been up for, I wanted to be up for a promotion and I did bite the bullet and I talked to her and, you know, I really presented myself for this role, but she flat out just told me like, you know, I have somebody else that I want to bring in from where I was before. And so it kind of was like, with a new person coming in, there was no room for me to grow. So I made the decision to leave because I wanted to grow. That is a very interesting way to look at, I guess, that change within the company um, of I being able to identify if you have an opportunity to grow in your role. I've heard this kind of said in different areas where sometimes guests will look back on their career and realize like, I'm actually glad I didn't get this job or this opportunity because those roles ended up being dead end jobs without an opportunity for growth. So can you maybe share, because I think your move was very, very strategic of you to say, I'm not going to stay in a company where I don't have a growth opportunity for myself. I love when I give that question a lot as a, I think it's a great question to ask in interviews of like, what is the growth trajectory look like for this role? Because you want to know, or like, where is the person that had this role before me? Like, where did they end up? Because I think it's really important to understand what that looks like when, or do you have any other tips maybe for, for someone when they can, for them to be able to identify if there's growth in a new role or if they're, you know, or being able to come to the tough realization, like, Hey, I cannot grow anymore at this company. Yeah. I think a big, a big, like a giveaway is what you said, like, where's the person that was in this role before? Mm -hmm. For me, 
that was my boss. He actually left and went to another company. So mm-hmm. I was next in line to take his position. And it's kind of one of those things too, when you think about like how long you've been at a company, I think that timeline is shortening a little bit as like technology evolves. So most people say like kind of between year two and three is when you should be up for a promotion or kind of definitely by the end of year three, if you're at the end of year three and you have not gotten a promotion, like it's time for you to move on because in my personal opinion, the company doesn't have faith in you to move on. They would have moved you on or had that conversation. And so for me too, with a new person coming in, this person's coming into this role, they have to go somewhere. So if you're looking at the chain of command, everybody is in their one to two year mark. So they're not moving anywhere anytime soon. And if I'm at year two, that would mean I have to wait till four years to get this company to move up. So you have to like really think about the other positions around you. Yeah, that's a good a good way to look at it as well. Because I think some people may ignore those signs. And I even think you can get promoted even quicker than three years. It's just like, is your, you know, is your company open to having those conversations with you? Are they engaging in those conversations? And then if they're making promises, are they keeping them? Because I know sometimes you may hear, yeah, we're going to promote you next year. We're going to promote you in six months. And then those times come along and then the promotion doesn't happen. It's almost like being in a relationship, you know, with someone that is making you empty promises. And at some point you have to realize like, okay, they keep, keep, they keep doing this. And if I'm not getting what I'm being promised, then the, then you have to leave. Yeah, you have you have to. I think that's kind of what put me in my, in my next role with Nick. So it's like, you know, you need to have a clear path laid out too. And don't be afraid to ask, like, you know, when you're in the interview process, you obviously want to ask what that looks like. But also, you know, when you're having your reviews, you know, making sure that you're on track in their eyes so that you're up for a promotion. If you're not, get some clear pinpoints as to like what you need to hit in order to get there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you made this switch over to Nix and now into this creative management role. And you mentioned that you kind of fell into this space and that it wasn't exactly being a project manager. It wasn't maybe what you thought, but you kind of fell into this role. Um, can you maybe tell me, all right, I'm, then I'm sure we'll talk about it when we go more into your role at way, but what, um, what are the, you know, the qualities that make a successful project manager and what was your role like? Okay. So it's, it, I, this was more of like, kind of like a lateral move for me. If we're looking at title wise, which sometimes isn't a bad thing because I did end up getting an increase in pay and I kind of was hesitant about taking the role, but the recruiter and recruiters are really big in um, the LA market, especially with these larger companies. A lot of them use big recruiting agencies, which is something I wish I had known more of when I was initially applying for jobs because they can get your resume in front of people sooner. They also will help you like put keywords into your resume, which will help you kind of sift through that sorter more so that they'll pull you to the top. And this is so LA of me to say, but I feel like what makes me a good project manager is I'm a Virgo. So I'm naturally organized and I'm very, I love my answer. <laughs> very logical. Uh, I joke like my cl- my closet is color coordinated. So, and I also am a big on communication. A key point of this role is communication. At Nix, their main problem at the time was that there was a big gap in communication between marketing and creative. It was almost kind of like they were afraid of each other. So I worked really hard to bridge that gap in communication, which I think comes to being charismatic. And, you know, you don't have to make friends with everybody, but you want to be cordial with everybody and you get more flies with honey than vinegar. So, you know, you kind of want to better people out because if you're running behind on a deadline, they're much more open to hearing that and willing to work on their side with the outside partner. Or, you know, if they come to you with something last minute, this is on the flip side with like marketing. It's like, oh, you know, we have a good rapport. We've got mutual respect for each other. You need this last minute. I can make it happen. What do you think makes you a good communicator? You you know, you say you're able to, you know, collect more flies with honey. But what about you, do you think, or kind of what is your secret sauce? Other than your Virgo qualities that you are able to bring to these teams that allows people to you know, feel more comfortable to communicate with you or, or how are you able to make that better? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with empathy. 
and self-awareness. I really try to look at a situation holistically so I can see all sides, not just my side and always leaving emotion at the door and not taking anybody's tone or what they have to say personally. And I think really like being transparent. It's interesting. I served tables in college and I never thought that I would take those skill set with me elsewhere. But when I first started surfing, a person's piece of advice was to always be transparent. You know, people are much more receptive if they have a good sense of what's going on and why they're having this issue. You know, if the food is behind, let them know. The kitchen is backed up right now. So I'm really sorry, but your order's taking a little bit longer. People are a lot more receptive to that than if you just ignore them and pretend like everything's okay, because they're like, if everything is okay, why am I not getting my food? So that same thing applies to project management. You know, if a designer is running behind, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, I have to deprioritize this thing. I know it is due at this day. I know you might have put it in sooner than this other person. But from a brand perspective, this last minute request I got has higher priority. So, you know, just being honest with them and being transparent versus just not doing it. It's like, hey, where's my thing at? And it's, you know, so that communication being transparent and also just being nice with the delivery. Everybody likes a nice person. Yeah. It's interesting that you got that advice from being a waitress. I remember hearing that with fast food chains where it's like, you know, when you're in the drive-thru and you're really angry that your food is taking so long, it you feel better when they tell you, sorry if it's taking a while, we're actually making it fresh for you back in the kitchen. So when it comes out, it's going to be really hot and really fresh for you. And that makes you feel a lot better. Like, oh, I'm waiting, but I'm going to get a really fresh burger and fries that are cooked for me instead of just like, oh, I'm waiting because of whatever is happening in the kitchen. I don't know. And I think it is really similar when it comes to anything that you were doing in your role. And same, even from like a PR or marketing perspective, if your company does something wrong and you're trying to address the public and address their concerns is, is being transparent, being honest. And I think people really appreciate when you, when you are that way. Yeah. I, honesty is key. I think to, especially since I am on the brand side of things, we're all working for the same brand. So like, you know, this is all for the greater good of every, everybody. So just being honest about like, whatever we're doing is in the end of the day, all helping us. This is keeping the lights on. This is getting us benefits. This is getting us raises and promotions, et cetera. Well, you were here at Nix for about two years before you ended up switching over to your current role at Way. So can you tell me about your transition there? Yeah. So this is kind of like my big pivotal moment in my career. I was at Nix. I think it's important too to note that when I was doing these, and this is pretty common in the beauty industry, at least, and I think fashion too, that people are hired on contracts a lot. You're not a full-time employee. So I was on contracts with both of these. It's at will employment. So I was free to leave whenever they can also let me go whenever. And I was at a point where, you know, I really wanted to get in with a company where I could feel like I could get in and grow because also when you're a contractor, you can't really kind of grow. You're hired as this position and that's the position you're here to fill. So, you know, there were certain people at that company, like designers who were hired as a graphic designer and they're holding that title of graphic designer for four or five years because they're comfortable with their day rate and they're just happy to kind of be doing that steady work. Uh, but I really wanted to grow. I wanted to make sure I was like growing within my career. I also wanted to make more money and I wanted that security of being a full-time employee. Uh, so kind of a weird time because this happened in 2020, like late 2019, I have my end of the year review with my bosses. At the time I had a review with two bosses because I switched midway through. So they both wanted to review me. The review went much better than I thought because me and this boss, he was a micromanager and we kind of butt heads a little bit, but he was like, you know, I know we butt heads a little bit, but I really appreciate you and recognize the work that you do. And I know that you know, when we do butt heads, it's because you're trying to keep me in check with the budget or keep us on time or, you know, just make sure we're moving the ship forward. And so I got the confirmation that like, okay, I am really good at what I do and I'm fulfilling the needs and goals of this position really well. And I had gone to my boss about getting, you know, what kind of, what was this looking for me? Like, were they going to hire me on? Because a lot of the time too, they want you to start the contract. They're like, this is temp to hire. And that temp can be a long time. And 
they were kind of like, you know, like we're kind of talking about it. We got to work some things out. And I was just kind of getting frustrated. And I thought, you know, I really want to, I want to move up. And so I looked for another job and I actually found another job and I had technically quit. <laughs> uh, I gave my two weeks notice and then COVID was kind of happening. So I got hired with a startup in downtown LA and I had had a really great interview with the CEO and he really talked about how you had an open door policy. He believed in transparency and this open line of communication. And I will never forget this day because I go home to my roommate. I'm talking about, I was telling her I was getting nervous and her friend is supposed to be coming over for dinner and she comes bursting through the door. She goes, you guys, I think my company is my company is about to go belly up with this COVID. Like it's really messing everything up. And I got nervous and we both were like, I have to talk to him. And I sent him an email. I said, can we just talk quickly? And we got on the phone and I said, full transparency, like, are you still comfortable bringing me on financially? Because it looks like we're about to hit a really crazy time in the economy and in the job market. And thankfully because of the way my job works i was like i think i can keep my job they don't want me to leave but i would like to leave and he's like you know what if you can keep your job please keep your job i would love to revisit this kind of when everything settles down wow thank you so much for being honest with me and i scrambled i remember this is why i say be nice to everybody because you never know when you're going to need a favor i reached out to all the people on marketing and i was like I need to, I'm going to keep asking for my job back. So they also wanted this role to evolve a little bit more and take on some more things. So I, this was probably the last day that we were in the office. I actually had to go in to get uh, something fixed for my VPN and the SVP was there. And she's like, I'm in the office. Like, do you want to talk now? And I went into her office and asked for my job back. (laughs) How did that conversation go? Uh she was like, no, she was newer too, which was great because I was like, you know, we have new leadership. I'm really excited. I might've fibbed a little bit because I wanted my job back, but I was excited. We had fresh eyes on how we were going to do things. And she's like, you know what? I've heard really great things about you. I want to take this to my larger team and I will give you a call back later this evening. And I was like, okay, that's all I can ask for. Uh, and she called me back that evening and we chatted and she's like, you know what? It was unanimous. Everybody is really happy with the work that you're doing. They love working with you. So we're happy to keep you on. That is crazy. Cause I think ever anyone who ha- would have put in their two weeks and then went back would be absolutely terrified to go back and ask for their job back. That have must have been <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. But this is also why you never want to burn bridges on your way out. Leave with grace and ease. Unless something really, really bad happened there's no need to be mean in an exit interview or, you know, burn bridges because, you know, I was leaving on good terms. I just was like, you know, they knew I wanted to be hired on full time. So like, we totally understand that that's a natural progression. There's no bad blood. And mm-hmm. so we were all was good. <laughs> that's a really good point. Cause I think sometimes when we leave a job it may be for whatever reason, we were fed up with certain things. We were tired and you just like, you just want to go. And maybe you may not care about making sure those bridges are, you know, as good as they possibly can be. You know, maybe you're not lighting the place on fire, but you maybe don't care that much about leaving on a really good impression. But you are absolutely right that that you never know if you're going to need to go back or what you're going to need to go back and ask them for. And it's always good to leave on the absolute best terms possible. And it you are so lucky that it turned out that way because you're right. That was such a scary time to be leaving and going to a new company, especially a startup. Yeah, I I think my lucky stars for that one because I could have been unemployed all the through the pandemic and I was lucky to be gainfully employed and Nix was in a really lucky position because when all of the retailers closed, all of those high end beauty product users were going to Target and to CVS is now to get mm-hmm. the lower end cosmetic that was open because the only thing that was open at the time was Target, Walmart, CVS. Um, all of the Ulta, Sephora's, they were closed. So that did really well for the brand as well. That's amazing. And so then you stayed at NYX and then what happened next? What happened next is I just really, I started to hit the burnout because I was like, you know what? I am working really hard and I am underpaid, overworked, underappreciated. 
and I want to be more. And, you know, also it was a hard time. This is in the middle of the pandemic. This is 2020. And there was a hiring freeze, L'Oreal. They were not hiring anybody new. They were not, they had ended the internship program that year. Like they weren't even taking on interns. Nobody was getting promotions. I don't think they did bonuses that year either. But as we were kind of coming towards the end of it, they were kind of starting to thaw up on those freezes. I really just wanted to make sure that like my needs and what I wanted was known. So I also did some like market research just to like make sure that I had my talking points and I really had facts to stand on as to like what I wanted and why. And the biggest thing was I wanted more money and I wanted to be hired on full time. And I was like, you know, if I can't get hired on full time, I'd like to at least increase my rate. And I was all excited. I remember I put on a turtleneck and like red lipstick. I was like, this is my confidence outfit. I'm having this conversation. And I had a very transparent conversation with her about what I wanted, what I needed. She was a woman and she was like, you know, I think woman to woman, I'm really proud of you for having this conversation with me and bringing this to me. You know, I can't guarantee anything, but I will go and talk to HR and see what we can do. And it didn't work out. You know, she came back and told me that she couldn't do more. I feel like she made the telling me that I was paid pretty well for the average. And I was like, I actually did my research. I'm really not. I'm underpaid. So that really just lit a fire under my butt. And I was like, I have to find something else. And this is when I feel like I really preach being intentional and I love to write things down. And I wrote down an entire list of everything that I wanted in a job. And I was like, this is what I want. I also knew I really wanted to get a dog. So I was like, I want a job that I work from home or that I can bring my dog to the office. I wanted a job that paid me well. I wanted good benefits because it was like I had benefits, but I didn't have the best health insurance. I was really looking at these things that I wanted. I was getting towards the end of my 20s. I was like, you know, I want to make sure I have a good 401k match. And I want to, you know, see what kind of does, what does their maternity leave look like for like down the line? Do they, you know, enforce like education is there sort of any fitness benefits things like that so i got super prescriptive i wrote this all out and i also at the time thought i wanted to leave beauty so i started looking outside of beauty and then a recruiter came knocking in my inbox actually i will say before that this goes to i say kind of like take all the opportunities you can a former recruiter i had worked with said he had a month off and he's like if you're in my network on linkedin reach out. I'm setting up time to, you know, go over a resume. Maybe we need to freshen it up, do some word changes. And I was like, you know what? This is a free service for sure. I'm going to sign up and take this. And it is crazy. We just made a few tweaks to my resume. We talked about what I wanted. He also gave me some pinpoints on, you know, negotiating and what to say in the interviews. And he's like, if you want this number, that is the number that you want and stick with it. You know, don't waver from it especially because he's like, people can detect when you're not confident in what you're asking for. And I tell you, we changed my resume and the messages just kept, came flooding in. It blew my mind. What, like, what did you change that was so drastic? We changed the wording of some of my previous work experience. I added in more budget numbers for project management. The biggest thing is at Nix, I really had numbers as to like how larger projects I was managing. Like my last project before I left, there was an $18 million overhaul, which is like a really big number for people. It also was a huge overhaul of like all of the look and feel of the brand in the store. So just adding those little tidbits and kind of, I changed the verbiage on kind of my freelance work. So it like made a more clear path like into project management that's so crazy how changing those things would have such a big impact and especially the numbers piece that you're mentioning as well the number of times i think girls really undervalue where they don't really think how how big those numbers play a role or maybe you just don't really think like you're like yeah i manage this big budget or yeah i have this big impact yeah. but you don't think to put those quantifiable numbers but employers eat those up so they love those so oh. to see how big of a change you you saw yeah it it was really blew my mind and i think too like we do our best to kind of talk ourselves up but we are also our own worst critics so i think it's really powerful to have an outside source look at your resume and help you with that also sometimes a weird trick i like to do is i talk in third person like on my resume i'll kind of write it out that way as if i was like somebody's talking about me and i tend to be 
nicer and kind of pump myself up more. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to look at it as well. So that you redid your resume, you got a bunch of people reaching out to you and I'm assuming one of those is what? Yeah, so I, there was a recruiter, and she's like, you know, there's this beauty brand, and I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm not really looking to stay in beauty, but I will say that the benefit package really caught my eye. She was talking about the benefits that the company offered, um, and I was like, wow, this is really everything that I wrote down on that list. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It was also a smaller company at the time, and I was like, I really wanted to move into a smaller company. I really wanted to feel like, I was really putting, like, my work was really making change and really helping to move the brand forward. And I was like, okay, you know what? I will take the initial call. Then she tells me its way. And I was kind of like, okay, I do some digging. And I'm like, oh, okay, people really like this brand. It's got good reviews. You know, I also kind of poked around at people on LinkedIn. And one thing that really stuck out to me was that most, I would say probably, like, 80% of the employees that were on LinkedIn had been there for a long time. And that always speaks volumes because when there's low turnover, that means that the employees are happy and that they like being there. And then to me, it also shows that the company is helping to evolve them within their career. So I kept going. And then I got to that first interview. And my first interview was with our current chief brand officer, Hannah Beals. And I was like, I need to work here. Like the way that she spoke about this brand, I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is where I need to be. And it's funny because I kind of fell into this thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't really want to stay in beauty. I don't have any hair background. I'm not that into hair. But just speaking with her, I was like, okay, you know what? This is a place that I really want to be. They also had an incredibly long interview. I think I ended up having five calls total. And, but I was like, you know what, that also speaks values. They really want to make sure that they're bringing in the right person. Yeah. Into the- yeah. They're intentional about who they're bringing on and they, yeah. Man, also, I feel like when you get a, a job after interviewing for that long, you really feel like you earned that one. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> they the craziest part too, is I actually got another offer midway through this interview process. Um, another beauty brand that was starting up came in. They were even smaller. I think I was going to be like the eighth employee and they came in. I had a great conversation with their CEO and I was also like really drawn to her and really wanted to work with her. And I was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I remember I was like sitting with my roommate at the time and she's like, I mean, she's like, this is great. Like you are in a great position. Like how often does somebody get to have two great offers on the table? And I was getting really nervous because Wei was taking a little bit longer, which I found out later uh, down the line is because we really respect people's PTO and the CEO was on PTO. Oh. Like, oh, bother him and he has to sign off on this, but like, we also really want you. So if you could kind of hold out and the other company is like, we need to hear from you now. And I, I really had to sit on it. I actually took the other offer first and I had to resend it. You did. did. (laughs) That is really, I want to ask you about that because I've had girls that I've worked with in the past feel like they have to do that, right? Where, or they're like, I have two offers. One is right now I'm interviewing for this other company and I want that better. I want that, I want that one more, but I'm not going to know for a couple weeks. So what was that accepting and then resending process like and what advice do you have for someone that's in a similar situation to that that was incredibly difficult I literally will say that I cried about it because I felt so guilty but at the end of the day this is like a kind of morbid analogy but I always joke you know if you got hit by a bus they would just hire a new person so like I'm not I'm not doing any harm to anybody by leaving so I, Wei came back in with her other offer and I was like, I, thankfully I was working with a recruiter. So I called the recruiter and I had a conversation with her and I was like, you know what? I just think long-term that Wei will be the better option for me. This company is still really small and I'm coming off of a burnout period with NYX. And so I just don't think that this is good, going to be good for me long-term. And it was hard and it felt bad because I also know recruiters like get kickbacks when they hire new people. So I felt bad, like I was hurting her. And I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, nobody died and everybody will move on. Yeah. 
That is, yeah. And it's always good, you know, the, and companies at the end of the day oftentimes will also put themselves first. And so it's also you just like putting yourself first in that situation and, you know, doing the best you can to be like as polite and accommodating as you can to both of those companies. But at the end of the day, making the decision that is right for you and not just, you know, being in a job that you're not going to be passionate or happy about just because you originally had committed to that. But, you know, being honest with yourself of like where you felt like you were more aligned with. Yeah. That was the most important part of it. I spoke with my dad a lot about it. My dad is not my mentor. He refuses to be my mentor. I'm always, but I- It sounds like you guys are really close, which I love. Yeah, I go to him for a lot of work advice. And I, you know, I really wanted him to tell me what to do. And he's like, I cannot, you are at the point of your career where you have to make this decision yourself. Like this is really the fork in the road for you. And he's like, think about where you want to be in five years. And what does that look like? I think too, as far as we've talked about negotiating what's on the table for you, one company was offering me like equity and Mm -hmm. that could be a really big deal. And that could be a game changer. Like that can change lives if, you know, it vests and you get to, you get that payout from it, but you know, it can also not work out for you. And I know a lot of people who have worked for smaller companies that it didn't work out for them. They went belly up and they never got to see that payout. And so it really just like, I really had to take like a moment and just like sit with my notebook and like, write the pros and cons and really think about where I want to be and what does my life look like and this is something that's really important that way is I wanted to remove my myself from work as like my main identity especially living in LA everybody's like what do you do and beforehand it was like well I work at OPI or I do I work at Nix I do this and I wanted to move away from that and I was like with this smaller company i well, not. I will be working there 24-7. It will be the only thing I'm worried about. And I really wanted to grow as my own person. And I was like, that will happen for me at Way. And so I rescinded the offer and I accepted the offer from Way. <laughs> I love it. What a incredible way. I know your career journey has not ended, but at least for this period of time to really wrap up and you really you really discovering who you are and what you want and going after it and making it happen for yourself. And I think your career journey is absolutely beautiful and so inspiring and just seeing how you grew through each of those changes and how you ended up at a space in a role, not a company that has the same values as you, that is in a place that is growing with you. And I absolutely love, loved hearing all of it. So thank you so much, Zoe. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's crazy. We don't give her, like I said, we don't give ourselves enough credit. And when I do talk about it, you know, wow, I really have, I've come a long way and I've done great. I have a really impressive resume, which, you know, it's, it speaks for itself. And I've learned so much along the way. And I think that I've become like such an incredible woman because of it. Absolutely. And I so much appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey with us and sharing your wisdom and what you have learned. I think our listeners are going to get a lot from this episode and from what you had to say. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join our private LinkedIn group for women in marketing. It's called Sky Society Women in Marketing, and you are welcome to join us on LinkedIn. And you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at skysociety.co for more information on all things marketing and career. And I'll see you in the next episode.